0: Marketing is about value. This is a very complicated world. It's a very noisy world. And we're not going to get a chance to get people to remember much about us. No company. There. And so we have to be really clear on what we want them to know about us.
1: All right. Well, how, do we, how do we do this with a uh, with guest the first time we're doing it? You're the first guest, mean.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. What an honor. <laughs> well, well co-
1: yeah. Welcome to the pod. <laughs>
0: Thank you.
2: <laughs> so uh, this is just Jake from the future after the recording is finished. And at the start, Emmy's sound has got some kind of mic scratchy crackles on it. But uh, after five minutes or so, they go away and you're not going to hear anymore. So just bear with it.
1: Yeah. Be patient. Don't go. Just stay.
2: Very nice. There you go. We're, we're professionals. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we, um, I don't know how much, if we overlapped at all, but I did a bit of work like um, a year and a half ago at contact when you were there.
0: No way. That is crazy. Wait, what were you doing? I
2: was helping with uh, getting the PPC stuff up and going because it had been restricted and then a few other yes. bits and bobs.
0: You were in the same stack as me and for ages and we've clearly only just realised. <laughs>
2: I know. Look, I thought when when I saw your name, I was like, I'm sure I recognise that name from somewhere. Then I saw your face, and I was like, I recognise the face from somewhere. <laughs> then I saw your LinkedIn, and I was like, that's <laughs> where.
0: <laughs> Makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. 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 So you so uh, you moved on from contact now, obviously.
0: Yep. Yeah. I moved on in November. Um, so I was at contact for two and a half years, I think. Uh, joined basically like just when COVID began. Um, yeah had a ball there it was amazing it was awesome being in an early team seeing it all happen but yeah it was time it was time to move on and try something new push myself out my comfort zone you know
2: yeah amazing it was a I found it really interesting contact because it was obviously a marketplace but it had in my opinion quite unique like maybe challenge in that on the supply side it was like heavily skill-based it's like you couldn't just join and and become but like supply like you can with a you know like a selling marketplace or something like that you know you needed to be either an HMU or you know a photographer or a model all that kind of stuff so I always thought yeah, it's it's tricky to it's always tricky to find supply anyway but specific specifically in that case when it's like a very niche type of um, a person to find that must be a challenge
0: yeah for sure I mean marketplaces are always really challenging I think there was that moment when we expanded from just models. And, you know, as soon as you go from like a really narrow niche to broader, like it just, you know, it's super difficult. So there was so much to figure out along the way, but it's like any marketplace, it's just dynamics. And I learned so much about it. I mean, it's like an incredibly challenging business to be in, Um, but it's part of the fun in it, like learning the mechanisms. Um, Yeah, I think, I can't remember the name of the book. Uh, What's it called? Oh, The Cold Start Problem feel like one of you guys both of you have probably read that but like hearing about the the challenges at uber i mean it was nothing like the the scale in in, in terms of that but it's like similar conversations just on a tiny scale you know understanding all those crazy different dynamics yeah
2: yeah no it's very cool i guess um so i've got i've gone straight and assuming that everybody listening knows what we're talking about (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was gonna say (laughs) a bit. yeah maybe we should rewind a bit should we start with just a, a quick intro? I mean, from you and um, yeah. you can mention contact, and what you did there, and, and what you're doing now, and, and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess yeah, sum myself up in a couple of minutes, right? Um, so I actually started off in a completely different industry. Uh, I did my degree at Kingston University of Arts in uh, first in graphic design, then illustration and animation so i was working as like a digital artist and illustrator at the time and then i just sort of like stumbled into marketing i think that that sort of timing social media being on the rise like social media was quite like a low friction industry to get into i think if you've been growing an instagram account something like that you can kind of justify saying to a brand you know i could probably help you with this so sort of moved into social media Um, my first sort of main role was at a company called Cortex, which is a creative studio. Um, and I was sort of part of the sort of early team of that for like two, three years. So it was a super small team working across sort of like fashion and events, building campaigns, creating events, all sorts of stuff. And a lot of that was like the community side of things. So that was like an early start and like lots of different experience in different areas of marketing. And then from there, like, built connections and managed to get a role at Contact. Um, and that was sort of, like, I guess the pinnacle where I, like, fully committed to marketing and, like, a career in that space. And I sort of, like, hopped about in the company. It's a like classic startup, wearing lots of hats, like, small team. I sort of moved from, I think my first role was in, like, brand and partnerships, then I moved to performance marketing for a while and worked on like campaigns and email and um eventually sort of transitioned into product marketing and like specialized there for a while um so i sort of hopped about and yeah i have like a real big love of product and marketing so product marketing is sort of like the synergy that i've found you know between those two um you know it allows me to to work across both of those teams and with all of those sorts of things, so it's kind of the ideal role for me. Um, but yeah, then I moved moved to Onin, which is where I am now.
2: And yeah, do you want to give us uh, give us the Onin elevator pitch?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so Onin is <laughs> an early stage startup, and we're still fully trying to understand what we are and who we're for. <laughs> but I'll give you the best the best pitch that I have right now is that we are an app that helps you schedule plans with friends. So. The problem that we're trying to solve is that modern calendars don't really work for modern consumers. They were built for companies 30 years ago and they haven't massively evolved since then. And they're still built for like teams and employees. They're not really built for people in their personal lives with their friends. So the kind of result of that is that our calendars are all disconnected. We plan everything in messaging apps and our calendars are completely removed from the conversation we schedule things personally but rarely share those events unless we have like a shared calendar or something but that opens its own whole can of worms so the kind of personal mm-hmm. scheduling product scape is not the prettiest and that's what we're we're trying to improve um and the way that we're doing that is looking at you know consumers behavior which is they're planning in messaging apps so how can we Lower the fragmentation between, you know, the conversation where the event gets planned and then getting it into everyone's calendars easily without email, without hassle, in a way that feels organic, in a way that doesn't feel like work. You know, that's that's the space we're in. Um, and we launched publicly just over a month ago on the App Store. We'll be on Android next week. Um, and we're sort of in those like early stages nice. of finding product market fit at the moment.
2: So it sounds great. It's the, uh, I feel like that's the, one of the most fun stages is that, or the most fun and stressful stages, yeah. the search for product market fit or the, the never ending search for product market fit, I guess. And yeah. it, it reminds me of something I saw on um, LinkedIn uh, yesterday. And um, it was a discussion around how um, CRM is um uh, even at like really well-scaling companies, they don't do the best job at uh, specifically churned CRM. Um, it was a post by Rosie Hogmascal. Um, and she called out to Calm specifically because she'd like finished her trial and they were just bombarding her with messages around, you know, come back and, and sign up. But the reason what you're saying there and where I kind of link that to product market fit is that if you're if you're looking at, if you're looking at a product through like the jobs to be done framework, so I'm sure you know, you've got quite a specific, or you've defined what the job to be done for Onin is. And also for Calm, they have obviously done the same thing. And um, I wonder what you think about kind of positive churn. So you've, you've bought someone into your product and they have found value. They've used it. And they've got out of it what they needed to do. And then they've naturally just not had to use it anymore because they have found value. Um, and I think that's a kind of over or underutilized um, area and people just constantly want to keep those users in the platform and it, it jars completely with when they're building something and they're probably talking about jobs to be done but then it's kind of forgotten about in that in that growth stage.
0: Yeah, definitely. I have you seen that post, Timmy? I have, yeah, I have. I really love her post actually there. It's yeah. super clever. Really um, good. I think with a product like Calm, that makes sense, right? Because Calm is like well, it's to improve your mental health. So, I mean, you could argue it's like an ongoing process, especially with meditation. Like it's a practice you should keep up. But if someone's found that value, I guess it's I guess the important thing to understand is mm. have they found the value? Which exactly. what like it's understanding why they turned is the most important thing, right? Because yep. they could have found the value and departed. They could have not. They could have moved to a competitor. Like you know, you need to understand the nuances of that situation. I think to know, you know know how
1: how to go about it it's it's a tricky one that one when when i when i saw it as well i was like you attracted someone for the right reasons if you obviously they're they're huge so you know they found their their product market fit but then when someone leaves after two years assuming like they're going to come back because you just you can just throw at them the same problem that they came for the, the the first time around it it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, kind of crazy that they, they're doing that. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like Very good one. something that I'm pretty like bullish on is especially in the early stages of building a product. Like you don't want to, I'm just such a product driven marketer. Like I, I love products and I love building products that have growth loops built within them and I want the value of the product to be the reason they use it, not bombarding them with emails or notifications. And I think that a lot of products try to fill gaps in their products through marketing. And I actually think like, if you challenge yourself early on, like don't allow yourselves to utilize those tools in that way, it forces you to find the right product market, like strong product market fit, you know, not just good product market fit, but strong, like you know, this might be too extreme, but w- I mean, we're sort of going through this on and in terms of deciding, you know, when do we use push notifications, for example, after a user joins? Like, when do we prompt them?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right now, for example, like we don't, we don't use any marketing push notifications. And that keeps us like really accountable in terms of our retention, in terms of like this product has to perform and deliver upon its value. Otherwise they just won't use it. And it's not going to be through, through sort of re-engagement that we do that. It's almost like, one problem at a time. So the first problem is getting them to use it. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be thinking about re-engagement before you've got the initial activation. So I think as well, the way that companies utilize those tools, you know, it's too easy sometimes. Like, and I think that's, I guess from, as like a product marketer, I'm coming in with that thought process because I am involved in the product. Whereas maybe traditional marketing teams that are kind of siloed, maybe they wouldn't think in that way.
1: That's, a, that's 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 a good point, and I, I wanted to ask you actually, like, how do you, how do you think about the um, the kind of loops uh, at owning? I, I actually haven't haven't tried it, um, so I'll, I'll admit. <laughs> but do you think do you think that comes pretty early? I'm I'm assuming it comes pretty early, right? As you you install it, you start using the calendar or the you know. Yeah, the calendar feature within your keyboard, like surely that's kind of built in, right? Like your friends will receive it and you'll, you'll get extra users that way. Is, that, is there more to this or like, how do you think about that?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, so from the day that I started on in like, Brian and I, the founder was super aligned. Like we wanted to build a product that had organic growth. Like we wanted to build a growth engine. It's just like what we're both passionate about. He's like a very much product product design driven person. I'm very much a product growth driven person. So that was something we were like super clear on from day one. And like, it's a marketer's dream, I think to have a product that grows itself because like all the, all the hard stuff's done for you and it's insanely hard to get it right, but why, you know, try and do something insanely hard because the rewards are insane too. So, but in terms of, yeah, the loops within Mm. the product. The main action that we're trying to drive first and foremost is like creating an event. So adding an event in the first place, like convincing you that this is the best place to put your events. And then second of all, making them like insanely shareable. And yeah, it all comes through to what we're focusing on at the moment, which is the link sharing. Like at the moment in your calendar, like most calendars are based off email. Like who knows, I, I couldn't recite like my mom's email address, I don't know, or like my uncle or a cousin or a friend or someone I've just met last night, like at a party, whatever it is. Like, I don't know their email address, but I might have either their phone number or I might have their Instagram. I'm I, somewhere I'll have a DM connection with them. And that's where you drop that link. And that's the reason that, you know, these events are being scheduled in our personal calendars, but never shared. because they're just not easy to share. So, you know, for us, the link, the, the link is sort of that, in with that viral loop, we gain that new user. The experience for them to join on in is super low friction because it works with all of their existing calendars. So like we've worked really hard to get the switching cost down to basically zero. So that friction's super low. Um and then it's sh- yeah. you know, that's that's the beginning of that viral loop and that flywheel.
2: Yeah, that's the difficult thing to get right right, because if you if you don't reduce that initial burden or cost to a user, it's incredibly difficult to convince your friends in this instance, you know, download this app so we can do this. And you're going to have like, even if 80% of your friendship group does that, you've still got these outliers that are on the outside of it. But what's um, what's really nice about online is is naturally it, it's got that network effect built in, you know, as, people as your wider friendship group and people you interact with start using it, it's going to make your life easier as well because everyone has that pain of trying to arrange something and sharing your calendars around so even if you're not the instigator you're still going to find benefit from it uh, in the long run i think that's you know one of those magic ingredients to as you say something that has that kind of viral growth sitting underneath it and how, how is it going
1: What's your, it's what's your, well. what's your viral factor right now? Viral Is it factor. Well? Yeah, we're
0: going, Is it we're, above
2: we're,
0: one? it's not above one yet. We're going for one. So to, to come back <laughs> to what you just said, we basically did that as well. Like we launched. So previously we launched with a completely different version of the app where there was no keyboard extension. Everyone had, there was no sync out to your, to your existing calendars. So it's literally like a completely new calendar service. We launched that, and and the, obviously the ask is, you have to let go of all of your existing messaging apps, all of your existing calendars, and use this new tool. And then you have to convert all of your friends to do the same. And we like really click quickly learned that mm-hmm. that that just wasn't going to work. So we, you know, enabled it to work with all of your existing calendars. We've added links so that you can share these events in any any app that you're in. We've added the keyboard extension so that it works everywhere. It's like ironic how you've got to find a balance i suppose of like being a platform but sometimes actually letting go of some of the control and being accessible in other platforms like leaning into the behaviors that are already happening that's i think where you can reduce that friction um but like word of mouth is good we've just we sent out a user survey yesterday i think the yeah. day before. And word of mouth is good you know around like half of the responses we've had have all been organic and they've they've come from like referrals or a friend um early on like marketing wise we've been focused on like a more technical audience so in terms of the keyboard extension like the big thing Mm. that we did last month was we sponsored daring fireball which is like one of the world's largest tech vlogs by john gruber um he writes sort of multiple posts per day all about apple and the world of tech and you know there's, I think, like, yeah. I can't remember how many daily views, but a good amount of iOS enthusiasts read that newsletter. So, um, that was really great for us because <laughs> we, we needed early adopters because we That's needed awesome, people's yeah. feedback, yeah. Who, like people who care, you know, as well. Like, not like product people are the best in an early stage of a company because we need people who are going to come to us and say, This UX is bad. <laughs> like, we need someone who understands when like yeah. UX is bad or, or something else. And like they're brave enough to say it because like they understand mm. that world and they know that we need that feedback and that was that was what was super helpful about you know reaching that audience first
2: yeah that's great and just to step back a bit something you just said about when you first started and the product was slightly different and you're based around kind of the app and having people switch over to the app that realization around people not um, being particularly receptive or wanting to do that was that um was that through kind of research that you did or, or panel groups? How did you how did you kind of test that?
0: It was it was kind of a mix of both. It was intuitive and it was like research led. So the thing that I've actually loved about onin versus anything that I've ever worked on before is that I use the product every day. So that has actually made like an insane difference to like the value I think I can bring. Like when I think back to contacts, like I knew the mm. product inside out, but I wasn't the person booking the creatives. I wasn't going through the booking flow five times a yeah. day. I wasn't on the other side being a creative receiving 3 5 jobs a day going through the flow picking my rates like seeing the emails like I had top uh, level exposure to all of that whereas now all of my friends and family are on on in I'm using it all the time I'm pushing people to use it I'm seeing when they don't like it I'm seeing where the friction is like I'm getting that feedback all the time and that's the same across the whole team yeah so a lot of our early decisions have been have been driven by our experience and looking at how that behavior is happening with family and friends. And with that particular decision, it was just really clear to us that our own friendship groups were drifting away from the app. We would be talking in on in, planning in on in, and we would end ba- back in the WhatsApp group yeah. chat. And everyone loves WhatsApp. And so exactly. we were like, why are we picking a fight with WhatsApp? Ultimately... There's one job we need to do here. We need to capture this event and get it in everyone's calendars. Like that's the pain point that currently like isn't being met.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we were trying to be everything. We were trying to be your calendar. We were trying to be your group chat. It was like insanely difficult. You know, we were looking at the roadmap that we'd built, thinking if we continue down this route, we have to be as good as WhatsApp, Google Calendar, Apple Calendar, everything, and it's insanely <laughs> hard. So. In terms of that decision, it was just observing, you know, like being intuitive and like being honest with yourself as well. Like it's okay if you've built something that isn't great. Like, you know, Ryan and I were literally speaking about this yesterday because I saw a LinkedIn post, which was saying basically like nobody ever knows if the decision is right. No investor, no founder, no CMO, nobody can sit down and say, I know like a hundred percent, this is the right direction to go and no one like, and that's fine. You have to build and learn. yeah. And that's what we've yeah. done. Like we, we shipped the keyboard extension as a public app a month ago. We're already working on like the next iteration of the app, which will be basically there like end yeah. of next week, the week after there's already things about the keyboard extension that we're finding tricky, you know, keyboard extensions, We only have like a certain amount of control over that UX because Apple controls a lot of it and not many people build keyboard extensions. Mm. So it's not set up in the best way. The onboarding is difficult. It's, you know, we can't control that UX in your keyboard. So we're already learning things about that and how people like it and use it that we're already changing. So, but it's all observation. And now, now that we've scaled up sort of to have more users on the platform we also now can do surveys which we couldn't really do before because it was just too too small a, a cohort um mm-hmm. so yeah
2: that's no, great that's the marketer's dream right you're working on a product that you're naturally dog fooding and not forcing yourself to use it every yeah, day yeah i think that's how you know yeah. you're onto a winner that helps for sure i
1: wanted to, to spend like maybe a few minutes on the fact that you launched recently mm-hmm. and if you could If you could tell us like what you've learned in the process of launching a product, a new product, an app, and like, if, if there was anything specific you wanted to highlight, like to, you know, create some hype and get it out there. Like what, what did you do?
0: Yeah. So I think the most valuable thing we've actually got from potentially the last month is how much we've learned in terms of our app store ads. So that was something we've leaned into quite a bit. Um, We've launched, so we launched across multiple channels, we launched on TikTok, we launched ads on App Store, and we did sort of partnerships along the way, one of those being the Daring Fireball Newsletter. Um, The newsletter worked really well for us in terms of credibility, because I think when you're a new product, positioning yourself alongside someone who's got credibility just like really helps give you a boost. And we did it in a strategic way, because Ryan, the founder, went to WWDC in California a week ago, and we were on the newsletter basically a week before. Pretty much everyone technical at their event will have read that newsletter. So it was a strategic decision as to why to do that pre-WWDC. Then, but following on from that, I think like what we've learned with the launch is I'm just like so focused on product market fit and reaching that before we try and scale. I don't want to waste our money. I don't want to waste our time. I want to hit those growth levers when I see those metrics are working and like not before. So I think a lot of people think that you're going to launch and then the next day it's like a million users actually like incremental learnings are so valuable and that's like where we are right now. So I think what was brilliant about the launch is we got like just enough data to learn what we needed. Like we we, bet, we went from a cohort that was like too small to analyze, was full of our family and friends, to a cohort full of strangers that we'd acquired from a range of different sources. And then we had sort of those like 30 days after and we can fully analyze, you know, in the stark light of day, how people have used the products, like what's working and what's not. Um, but in terms of why I said sort of app store ads have been useful is because I think the way we work is like build and learn cycles. We constantly ship stuff then learn, iterate, launch the next thing. Every single time, the messaging slightly different. Every single time, the onboarding, the journeys, the flows are slightly different. And what App Store Ads has allowed us to do is have a predictable way to bring new users in. We found that it's scalable. We're getting it to a place where it's sort of cost efficient and it's something that we can just turn on and off as and when we need it. And it's also not dependent on building like a content engine Like a social media platform so in terms of what we need in the coming months to reach product market fit like that's amazing to have that in our pocket because we know we're building this next iteration everything will be launched in like a week and a half we can just turn on app store ads and get a new cohort going basically instantly and start to instantly learn because i think like speed in terms of finding product market fit in this landscape is your best friend
1: yes your superpower at the beginning when you can go fast and you know take the feedback from your uh, your first cohorts of customers and 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 do little tweaks or big tweaks sometimes um that's yeah that's that's uh, yeah that's a superpower definitely i i think i think the um, one thing about what you guys do that also probably helps with uh app store either aso so app store optimization or app store ads is um the fact that it's something that is very keyword led, like that you would search on an app store, like an event planner keyboard yep. kind of extension, like those kind of strong, probably high volume kind of search, uh, would definitely go your way. That's that I never, I didn't think of that until you you, you just talked about this. Uh, yeah, that's very yeah. cool.
0: It's high intent users, which is what's really helpful because we actually noticed that our conversion rates increased with those specific users. So when we, versus say TikTok, where it's discovery based, you know, in that moment, those people aren't looking for a new way to schedule with their friends. So it's like intrigue, right? So maybe, you know, sign up conversion is at a certain place then, you know, from joining the app to creating their first event, we can see there's like some interest, with App Store, it like shot up. You know, these people were actively looking for like a scheduling yeah. app, a calendaring app, a reminders app, something. And like the the conversion from signing up to creating an event was far higher.
1: That reminds me of like, you know, when you have a weather app. <laughs> if, you, if you have a weather app, you're going to have a lot of volume on the App Store because that's the kind of apps that people like yeah. uh, look for uh, very often. Uh, yeah, productivity, calendar stuff. Yeah, all that those kind of categories. Very, very cool.
2: I mean, you said that you did a bit of tick, you launched a bit on TikTok ads, right? I just pulled up the TikTok ad library here and I can see a couple of, um, the ads that you guys are running. It looks like you did something, I don't know if it's with influencers or it's just kind of UGC looking content. And then also you have the video that you, um, that you've put on LinkedIn and, and the other channels of you kind of introducing on in is there, have you found like a difference on, TikTok specifically around that type of content. And last week, Yo and I were talking about how TikTok is is slightly different from another social network in that there's a big push now for kind of SEO best practices on TikTok. This is kind of from the organic realm. But also we know that influencer-led TikTok advertising content or UGC content works really well on that platform. I wonder if you could talk a bit about what you guys have found with the ads that you're running on there.
0: Yeah, definitely, for sure. So yeah, we launched TikTok Basically, as soon as the app went live, we've been working with an amazing freelancer called Nicole, who is the girl that you can see in all of our all of our TikToks. We work with as uh, a company company called Passion Fruit, which are for like freelance marketing yeah. specialists. Who I actually met on and through them. Um, so yeah, they're, they're amazing. So oh, we wow. yeah nice. we hu- we hired Nicole through them, um, and she's been awesome. So yeah, like in terms of performance, definitely like user generated lo-fi like it it works so much better um something organic we've, we've sort of experimented obviously with both of those things i think some of our best it's just tiktok's just ridiculous i think it's just all about volume and some of our best videos are ones we we didn't anticipate that we created in seconds and um there's actually <sighs> an amazing tiktok account for an app called official which is an app for couples um and it's I don't know how big the team is, but basically like the founder and his girlfriend, mostly his girlfriend make the TikToks and they're hilarious, they're short, but basically like there's a formula to them. So it's all like her face to camera, caption is always in the same place. There's always imagery of the product in the exact same place, kind of above her head. And they're always the trending sounds. They're always hilarious. And like, they found this, you know, they found a a way that works for them. And that's really like what we've been experimenting like since, since going live is like trying you know it's just all counterintuitive to what you'd think from other platforms like and you know it's been Mm. it's been a while since i've been like in charge of a social media account and it's it's so different than it used to be and you know like you just wouldn't it's like how can you provide value in a five second video it's it's completely unintuitive to i think what what people have seen before (laughs) um which has been exciting you know like trying to and, and trying to make a calendar app funny is a challenge in and of itself which we've been you know like going <laughs> about but it's possible i think for any product but yeah definitely the honestly like cheaper content like in terms of production value just performs way better people just don't like being like knowing they're being sold to i don't think they just they want it to look like their friend yeah. they want it to feel organic
1: for sure that's that's a. Uh... That's a great answer. I think even if, uh, like you said, not necessarily people will be on TikTok to know that they need something like you guys, what, what you guys are doing, but there's so much you can do around the event planning, being with friends, experiences that could just be like pushed out on a daily basis just to like create awareness on what you do. And if you, if you find the right spot, the right kind of, you know, tone or joke or educational like whatever the type of content Uh, you only need one of these videos to go like a little bit viral like a million views couple of million views which happens all the time Um, I think probably happened to uh, all of us at some point in the companies that we we worked for Um, yeah it it changes your it changes the game for you because that would drive so much traffic towards your your app and, and, and your users numbers should go up Quite, quite a lot but yeah it's about quantity I guess over quality and that quantity gives you the you know the answers that you need
2: do you, do you guys have a or do you personally have like a um, like a rapid creative testing framework that you put in place or is it kind of all ad hoc because I always find myself you know we'll Everybody in this space are always talking about how important testing is, and I found myself thinking, "Oh, is my, is, do I test in the way that I talk about people should test, or just is, is other people out there using some amazing framework they've put together that's like the perfect and way to test creative process?" So it'd be great to just to pick your brains on that for a bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it's not really with something we've utilized to be honest thus far, because like our spend just hasn't been big enough. I don't think like just because we have been focusing on product market fit, and not growth. But I think definitely as soon as we enter that like growth phase and the spend increases, um, it's actually something you can do on app store. Like you can have different app store pages. You can test different, different sort of copy, like messaging is something I spend like probably 70% of my time on just writing, like, honestly, the different ways to describe Mm -hmm. a calendar app is insane. You know, I think we've at (laughs) at this point, like I could honestly say, I think we've been through a thousand taglines if not more like our, our website already since yeah. I joined has had like how many times have we relaunched it. It's definitely had at least like six major iterations since November, because I learned how to use Webflow as well. Wow. So I can, I, I, I used to be a designer, <laughs> learn how to use Webflow. So, and I mean, our team is heavily like yeah. product engineering led, like Ryan is a product designer, previous CTO, David, our CTO, like incredibly talented. So, and we have, you know, amazing engineers as well. So. <laughs> it's like, it's like, of course you can use Webflow in me. Of course you can. Like it's easy, but it is, <laughs> it is, it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, we've, we've, yeah. we've, we relaunched the website a number of times and the app store visuals, I think we've had probably like since, since, so we were an unlisted app for a bit before when we were in like beta. Um, so since the beginning, we've probably had like 10, 12 iterations of the app store visuals and like not like small coffee changes like big changes so it's literally like constant i mean i'm working on a different iteration today so it's like top level messaging i think (laughs) early on is like crazy crazy important um just finding the right hooks like it's so it's so granular like the way we we landed on on something yesterday and we're like oh it just makes so much sense like when you're when you're sharing an event with someone, you want to, like, know it's in their calendar. But like, knowing it's in their calendar is, like, so reassuring. So it's, like, even when there's just, like, it's so granular messaging, um, which, you know, is a big product marketing <laughs> thing. So no wonder I'm, I'm passionate about it.
2: Yeah, I love it. I think, you know, it's, it's all about that hook. And uh, it, in the, earlier in my career, I was just thinking more about, like it doesn't really matter so much about the creative it's just like put something out there and just optimize it and get it to work but then over time you realize it's just those whatever the channel whatever the progression in marketing it always comes back to those advertising fundamentals of you've got to answer that pain point you've got to hook that user in and you like you say you can't get to that without rapid testing and it's obviously a can be a um creative director's nightmare or if you've got a guardian of the brand <laughs> and you're changing the logo of the app and you're changing the font that you're using all over the place but uh, that's the kind of stuff you got to do right to, to find this stuff out
0: yeah and I think like you know um, <laughs> in terms of in terms of a hook like it's really interesting the journey we've been on because we we sort of like weren't really sure exactly what our main hook was at first then we landed on the keyboard calendar which was an insane hook like people just love it like your calendar and your keyboard. It's like, oh my God, incredible. But it's like, we're now sort of back at that stage where it's like, it is an insane hook, but we think there's more that we can do with the app. Like this thing that we think there's more that we can do. Like there's a problem that's being solved here. We think there's better ways we can solve it. There's other ways we can solve it as well. And we want to experiment with them. So I think a challenge for me is like a saying in product marketing is like, or just marketing in general is like, be as narrow as you can you know like don't be afraid to be narrow like ha- honing in on a niche early on is like so valuable like i found that at contact because for a long time we were just targeting models and model bookers and then suddenly we introduced photographers and hair and makeup artists and suddenly you're talking to like very different people and the value that each wants to find from your product is very very different and so being narrow is like a real gift so you know, like the keyboard calendar hook is an insane gift because it's so easy for me to drive that home. But now we're thinking, you know, like I saw this amazing diagram yesterday. It was like a big red square, which is basically like your product. And then there's like a tiny green square in the corner, which is like the solution your user needs. And basically where we are right now is like, we have the whole square (laughs) and I'm, you know, we're trying to find the tiny green one. We don't know what it is yet. So we kind of have to point out everything whilst we try and figure out like, (laughs) which, where's the green square. So that's basically where we are at the moment. So it's, it's like, it's a real challenge, you know, like messaging It's when you've got a product that can do lots of different things and provide lots of different bits of value. It's not like, yeah. Like a bottle of water is the best thing to advertise in the world. It's water, it hydrates you, amazing. But you know, yeah. we have a drink that's full of electrolytes and has a great flavor and smells cool and looks great and yeah. so, and I don't know what people love about it yet, so <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well you just you just smack a a big um branding exercise like liquid death and that's it. That's yeah. that's how you make yeah, a, yeah. M- you know, a can of water yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a lot, with a lot of, with a lot of budget, with a big marketing budget. That's not, not the Definitely. same. I, 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 I was, uh, I was thinking of, um, something you said earlier, which is that, uh, it used to be an app and then you pivoted into making it an extension of the keyword, a uh, keyboard, sorry, not keyword. And, um, is that I was making the parallel with this? Um, there's something I'm quite obsessed at the moment. This uh, phrase from Justin Kahn, you know, the uh, co-founder of Twitch, which says, 1st uh, time founders focus on the product, and second-time founders focus on distribution." Yes, and it's kind of, it's kind of, I think it's kind of that. Like the first iteration was really a product. Like you, you had the product idea, but the distribution was ah, because you're trying to push people away from what they used they used to use like all the apps we're using for calendars and and messaging them to people and then you flipped over on just sitting on top of everything else so then the distribution was solved Um, is that an accurate um, parallel that I'm making?
0: yeah I definitely like I think I mean ultimately I have seen that post I think ultimately you want to consider both from the start right? (laughs) like it's you can't have <laughs> yeah. one without the other it all falls apart so and that's yeah. that's kind of the blend we're finding now if you think about it because we started with product first like we obviously thought about distribution but we clearly like didn't have the right opinion because it didn't quite work as we planned out so then we have thought okay distribution is mm. the main thing reduce friction go where people already are fit in with user behavior now we've yeah. done that and it's like it's doing well But that's a hard space to perfect UX-wise, because we only partially control that space, your keyboard. Half of that experience is controlled by really difficult. So now it's like if we come back to the app, it's still accessible everywhere. When we launched the original app, we didn't have so now there's on in me links, which is like a monzomi link, whatever that's I think it's like Monzo Me, whichever it is. Mm -hmm. But you have links that you can share to directly add people. We have event links. So when we originally launched the app, we didn't have event links. So events weren't shareable by a link. So it didn't sync out to your existing calendar, like I said, so it, the friction to get your friend to join was basically for them to ditch all of their existing services and you know, try a brand new one. So now it's almost like we've recognized all the brilliant things we've built in the products, all the things that work so well about the pure distribution model and trying to like blend the two. And and make that work, and that's you know ah. I, yeah, hopefully our golden ticket. <laughs>
2: Interesting. <laughs> yeah, the underlying thing in that in that quote is that you. I guess as a first-time founder, you have this idea and you're just, all you can look at is how you imagine that idea to be and how you've imagined it for years and years and years. And you start building it. And as much as people say, we need to just drive for like MVP or recently something I've been talking about more and more is MMP, minimal mar- minimum, minimum marketable product. And um, there's that balance to be had, right? Because you could build the most incredible products on, in the world that you think is great but then you can't distribute it and by that point you by the time you've got there you've spent you've wasted a hell of a lot of money probably someone else's money and then you failed so the second time around you're like i need to learn from my mistake and just go after something that scales but i think it's that balancing act um and you said earlier me that you are kind of laser focused right now on finding product market fit um and so kind of two questions in that one would be um how do you how would you define how how do you know when you find product market fit personally? And the second one was, how do you kind of um, handle that balance between building something that is at the level that you want it before you put it out there, but also not going so far down that road that you put it out and you realize it's too late to turn back and it's too late to iterate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So first question In terms of measuring product market fit like the metrics we're using at the moment are retention and k-factor obviously we're looking at all metrics and it's across the board but in terms of like Mm. the two qualifying ones like we need strong retention people need to use it and they need to continue using it and retain and have like retained value but then also we need referral rates so k-factor is what we're doubling down on so we want at least a k-factor of one and It's like, it's ambitious. We know that, but it's really ambitious. But we said from day one, we want to build a product with a growth engine. So like there is nothing more important than building a product that friends, that people are going to refer to their friends. Like we're not built. So the way we talk Mm -hmm. about it, like Ryan would describe it's like, we're building a tool and a network. The tool works for you, but it needs to have network features that allow it to have virality. so those are the two metrics that we're we're sort of doubling down on. And yeah. those are like the the signals that That's we would take cool. to, to know that we are onto something, you know? Like to and like even in the survey that we did yesterday, used um I think he's called Sean Ellis. I think he's the author of Hacking Growth. I might be wrong with that. My bookcase is over yeah. there. But he mentions a survey which is like, how disappointed would you be if you could no longer use this product? And it's like, very disappointed, somewhat disappointed. And if more than, if 40% or more people say they'd be really disappointed, then that means you're ready to enter the growth stage. So that's like also something we could use. Hmm. You know, you have to have a cohort of a certain size, obviously to make it valid, but yeah, like data driven as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. We do, we do that. Uh, we asked that question at nude as well. Um, and we get a very high portion of people will be disappointed but that's also one of the factors we took before scaling um yeah very cool how do you measure your um, uh, k factor
0: so there's multiple ways to measure it but like on the main dashboard it's like a rolling k factor in terms of it's like a live in this moment i suppose you could say it. it's like in the last week how many new yeah. users of total were referred so it gives you like an in-the-moment picture of uh, your K-factor. That's because like most of our metrics are daily that we, that we look at. Like our ethos is like, you know, you should be able to wake up in the morning and say what the DAU is <laughs> off by heart. Like if you know your daily metrics inside out, like you have a very good chance that you will grow because like you're insanely focused all the time. Um, so that's yeah. like on the main dash, but obviously like month to month broader picture.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Now it's 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 changing all the time so it is it is kind of a bad question to ask. What's your K factor because it <laughs> it was and then it is and mm. uh, it's changing. So, yeah, no, it's great great answer. Uh, talking about the matrix very quickly like how um how do you think obsessed you are with looking at the numbers on a daily basis does that impact you because i've 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 got some (laughs) thoughts on that as well myself like i refresh dashboards probably like a thousand times a day so
0: pretty obsessed so (laughs) so we have a metrics channel in slack and every night at midnight we get the previous day's metrics and there's definitely not a culture of competition as to who can see them first. No, there's actually not like I'm asleep, but, um, <laughs> at a previous business, Ryan said he, he had that that channel and between like him and his co-founder, it was like a bit of a joke, like who could see them first. So yeah, we have, um, basically all of our main daily metrics from our mixed panel board come into Slack, uh, every night at midnight. So it's yeah. the first thing you say in the morning. We also have like an hourly new user count, um, which is more of like a motivational thing than like it's pretty arbitrary yeah. hour to hour, but it's more like has it been a good day? Mm. You get like an, a feel for it. Um, but yeah, I would say like we're pretty, pretty obsessed with with the metrics. Like I definitely check it multiple times a day. Um, yeah, because we can kind of see everything. So, well, not everything. We're end encrypted.
1: <laughs> just <laughs> just to, to be enough. clear. <laughs> do you do you feel? you feel like it's impacting your I'm going deep now do you feel like it's impacting your mood if it's going in a right good way or the or in a bad way like do you feel personally affected in your day-to-day if you're having like a bad matrix day
0: yeah like that's such a good question um <laughs> yeah I found TikTok really challenging when we got started because I was like this is just so okay like all over the place like it's not it's just not predictable and it's not like I understand it, but it's, it's not like good in quotes, like in terms of, you can create like a good piece of content and it for, you can t- create like a really crappy random piece of content that do amazing. So I found that like more like at a soul level, very confusing as to how the world is moving, <laughs> but, uh. um, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of metrics, like, I think, I think you have to be quite removed, like personally. Like I try,
2: Yeah,
0: it's hard. I'm a person that like, I I pride myself yeah. on my work. So I want something to do well. And like, I just, I'm not the kind of person that can like completely detach my like own self value from how well something does. But at the same time, like it is it is what it is and it's okay. Like, I think definitely like yeah. culture wise, it's very important that nobody feels personally like guilty about metrics because you just have to learn and grow and change things and get better over time so of course yeah i think i think the culture of the team really impacts that like if you if you feel pressurized in terms of metrics then you're going to feel awful but like luckily i haven't experienced that so
2: yeah yeah it's good i feel like performance marketing in general is just like an inherently stressful career choice because you are just so aware that you are spending someone else's money and as much as you treat it like your own money sometimes you're like if this was my own money i would just stop spending it right now but i can't do that so uh it's i think it's an interesting um i think it's an interesting kind of discussion to have with people because there's definitely been times when you you, you're kind of sitting there with your head in your hands and you just feel like everybody is pointing at you and especially if you've been in that from like a freelance capacity sometimes you feel like you've been brought in to do something and if it's for no fault of your own if it's just not working it is difficult to accept that and you and you do feel that anxiety if everyone's thinking oh you know um he, he's the he's responsible for this when at the end of the day it's 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 you know it's the whole team that are building the product and and getting people in
0: yeah yeah, I feel like there was a second part of your question, but I can't. Yeah, I was just gonna
2: say Yo Yo like came in and stole the second part of my question. It was uh <laughs> Yeah, part one was great. Amy, <laughs> anyway, thank you. Part two was Let's just go about back to the it. balance between um striving for minimum viable product, um, the minimum product you want to put out there, but also building something that is that has that kind of level of polish that you're aiming for.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I think like we noticed a really big difference actually being a public product. So we were like on a wait list for ages. So like our, if you look back, our first product hunt launch was like way before I joined in like 2021. Um, like, you know, the guys have been working on this app for, for a while. Um, Cause it turns out calendars are insanely hard to build, which I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but so we were, yeah, we were in a wait list for a long time and I honestly can say that I think there's been like a big trend in building wait lists over the last few years, obviously waitlists have always been a concept, but there's been like a big trend in like a pre product built concept. So you put together a landing page, you build an 80,000 wait and like you launch into it on day one. And, and it's cool, but like, I can honestly say our, our engagement and our learnings have been so much better since we've been a public company. And like, by no means is, are uh, things perfect, but. It's very difficult to retain a waitlist, you know, like they have intent when they sign up, but then you're going to naturally have some drop off. Whereas as soon as you become public, like you can instantly secure those downloads, like straight away, you don't have to re-engage people on a waitlist. So in terms of balancing that, like there was a moment when it's not like we were like, this is the finished product. It's going to be amazing, but it was like, we just need to be a public app. Like we just, we need to be out there. We need people trying it. We need feedback. Like we need, we need to. We need the users basically, like we need to exit the sort of like family and friends and like close friends model and, and gaps, people that have no biases about what we're building. So yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's just intuitive. I think as to when you're ready as a team to like, leave the, the sort of beta phase, be public, you're never going to be a hundred percent ready, but I've definitely like, I think we've learned 10 times more being a public app than being an unlisted app, um, for sure.
2: So, would you say that your general, um, you generally prefer the the kind of mentality of get it out there and see how people react, rather than keep refining it, keep refining it, and we'll feel when it's ready? And I feel like that kind of connects into something I wanted to ask you about. Um, is the kind of you've probably seen it, Andrew Chen, um, the next feature fallacy, which is the the kind of. Um, mentality of some product teams to when your product isn't necessarily growing in the way that you want it to it's like oh this this next amazing feature is going to be what kills it for us and that constant push forward and of uh, you know introducing bloat and all that kind of stuff into into um into your product but you know there, there has to be a point where you launch and you just see how it goes and then you learn from the market and then at that point you have to decide you know maybe this isn't the vision that we had but this is the vision of our user base and then we have to pivot in that direction and you know as we touched on earlier in the conversation once you go too far down that route it's really difficult to do that so in general would you say you're on the side of the spectrum of get it out there when you think feel like it's ready to for people to be in people's hands and then measure or, or just wait a little bit longer until you feel like it's closer to the vision
0: 100 get it out there and learn like, we, this is, this is exactly where we are as a business right now, you know. Like, the first version I was speaking about earlier, we then bought, launched the keyboard extension. At, at one point, we were discussing, like, do we completely get rid of the app? Are we, like, just a keyboard extension? Is there, like, nothing in the app? We didn't do that. And thank goodness we didn't because now we have, like, all these possibilities. And it was, we were sort of having the, the same question yesterday, and we were talking about, um, there was, like, three or four different directions that we could go in. And really, like, it's the what I was saying earlier. Like, nobody knows the right decision. Like, ultimately, until you try, until you see what happens, you see what people like. You don't know. So, to close yourself off and go down a path which is like a one-way door, is not very wise. Even if it means that for a while you have more features than you'd like, your journeys aren't quite as clean as you'd like them to be. Ultimately, you need to learn. And I think we we were talking about like an example of like Slack, which was born out of a game, right? The the, the team were basically building a game, the game failed, but they'd built this tiny little messaging app for the team to talk on. And they, you know, packaged it up as Slack and like, it's at the last minute. And Ryan and I were having this discussion yesterday. We were sitting down, we were like, there are people using this app in lots of different ways. Everyone likes lots of different things about it. And we don't really, we can't sit here and confidently say, this is the direction we should go in. So even though it feels uncomfortable, what about if the next few months we just do small iterations? We, we build what people are asking for, like our roadmap is public. So we have people asking for features. We have people voting on features. Let's build what people ask for and just see what they're using it for. And like, it's like following breadcrumbs, but like we followed the breadcrumb, launching the first app that it was too high friction. So we focused on distribution, built the keyboard extension. We've made massive gains from that, that's for sure. Now there's like three or four more breadcrumbs as to like what people are using, what what problems people have that they're solving with the app. And we're like, you know, just like eat the breadcrumbs, see where we go. And it's, it's not the most comfortable space to be in because you want to be the person in the team or like, you know, you want to say, I know what the right decision is. Like I've seen from the data or I've heard from everyone, this is where we need to go, but like that's not always the case Hmm. like you have to take chances and small chances small iterations but like the best place to do it back to your question is being a being a live product i think like just real feedback real uses like it it doesn't lie um and you can be wrong about about feature or an idea and and that's risky
1: definitely definitely i think on to jump back on that was, that was great. I think to jump back on the, the article, um, the blog from from uh, Andrew Chen, what he's talking about as well is when you're iterating, if you can focus on the early phase of the journey of a user, mm-hmm. when you get where, the, where there is more, the more the volume, the bigger the impact in the yeah. long tail, right? And uh, often that's overlooked and you're looking at like those more like tiny improvements of people already using the app but you're ignoring the thousands of people coming in at the top and if you can make changes there that's yeah it'll be like exponential impact uh in the long in the long run so um yeah really cool yeah, yeah. really cool how, how are you doing with time imi we don't want to take you take too I'm long good. of your time so
0: i can i can stay yeah i'm good
1: great
2: so far we've got like the first episode 25 minutes second episodes. Fifty-eight minutes. The third episode is like forty-three minutes. <laughs> you need to get some consistency <laughs> going. On. It's nah, it's okay. For a okay. Then I can random. try and chop it down. <laughs> Keep it random. That's good. But I've got so many questions. I can, I can, uh, I can carry on asking. But I don't know. We said that we didn't want these to be just feel like we're bombarding the, the guests with questions. <laughs> okay. And I'm sure that's probably how it's felt from here. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> <I mean, not laughs> but it's been, uh, it's been super interesting.
0: Yeah. No. no it was good.
1: good. There was one thing I was thinking about that could could be. Um, uh interesting for the listeners or the watchers uh on YouTube mm-hmm. um is uh, are you thinking about monetization already
0: Yeah for sure um like we're not so in terms of like we're for anyone that doesn't know we're an investment back business so we raised a seed round a pre-seed and seed in the last few years so we're looking you know towards series A next in the next sort of year onwards and like current state of things you yeah. need, you need a route to monetization, you need to have at least proved monetization. So, um, I guess it's like, yeah, it's the same as like what you were just saying in terms of focusing top of funnel, like focus on where's most important. Like we're having to be really disciplined as to what we focus on because ultimately we, the ambition is that we build a product that consumers use and that they love and then you know we have thoughts as to how we could build that monetization in obviously like payments is an enticing route you know with the you know you have your calendar you have an, you have all of your events there are likely going to be mm. pay to attend events um, so there's like yeah that that seems like a logical route fintech um, but yeah it's like <laughs> we are trying to crack the sort of free consumer product first but yeah we know that that needs to be yeah. on the roadmap in terms of our focus before series a
1: yeah no that, that makes sense first event for free second event 10
2: pounds <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just well, kidding. Uh, sorry on that topic is the most thing else i read recently was uh, the difference of like hard and soft paywalls in a product so do you have um like you know like a freemium product or do you have does it come to a point where you just cannot use it any longer without um without paying for something i don't know what side of the fence i'm on i think it's different you know product to product and i'm I'm not asking you what what you guys are going to do but i guess more to you guys like what do you what's your 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 thoughts behind a soft paywall? you can close it you can carry on doing it but feature limited versus a hard paywall where you might not even have a trial and you just cannot continue using that product until you turn it off. You know, the argument is that you would potentially have better conversion rate with a hard paywall, or you would have a conversion rate of people that are going to actually go on and, and be good users uh, versus a lot of people that just use your product for free. So I just wonder what you guys think about that. Amy, you go first. I
0: can go first. Um, yeah, it's different for every product, I think. Like, there's no one answer. I think... Like honestly, both works in different contexts. Like, and I haven't I haven't necessarily got the personal experience to, to say which I think is best, but I feel, I think I can see the value mm-hmm. in both. Like, I think a free trial is always great um, to sort of show the user. Any user that feels trapped, I don't think feels very good. It's like classic UX thing is like, make it very easy for a user to be able to cancel a subscription. Doesn't mean they're gonna actually do it, but just knowing that they can, knowing how to is like a freeing, bit of UX which is just good practice so Mm. I think letting someone try something before they buy it is like a you know just good practice but yeah I guess like there's some tools which are I think tools that actually do this really well are the ones that are like lower priced so I think ones like Pocket the app that like you can quickly save articles yeah like I think I pay for that and it's just insanely useful, and it's two ninety nine a month, I think. So it's like, why wouldn't I? Um, there's, there's an app yeah. actually which um, called Mood, which is a mood tracking app, which is really amazing. You should check it out. It's like insanely simple. You track your mood. You put mm-hmm. in your mood once a day, basically, and you have like a, almost like a year, month, and week view of your mood in a color. So there's different shades for your different shades oh. of your mood, um, and it's 199 a month, and I believe for every person that pays, someone else who like, in need gets one, you like can't afford it, gets access to the app. Oh,
2: that's cool. and I love that. I cause like it's that. like
0: you can only pay for it. Nice. It's 199 a month. The value of the app for you is very clear. Yeah. The value of you paying for someone else is very clear. Like it's cheap. I think
2: it works as a growth hack, a viral growth hack as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's Ideally, great. they're not counting those free users when they're <laughs> yeah, use
1: that's, that's true. I was using a, a mood app. That was not a mood app. It was a, a, a fasting app called. Yeah, it's called Fast. And every time you start a fast, it asks you for your mood. My mood was always shit because <laughs> I was always hungry un- <laughs> I always wanted food so it was it was it was a, a not it didn't want to be a mood app but it became a, a mood app yeah. because of them asking me what, what my mood was when I was not eating for like 18 hours 20 hours straight was like, so obviously it's going to be I'm irritated <laughs> <Right>? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just red just red mood
2: yeah. it's one of those things how honest are you are you more honest with your a lot of people say that you, you share more with Google through your searches than you would with anybody else in your life. It's like how honest are you with your mood? App? I feel like I would just always be like oh, I'm alright. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> just like get when, this thing over with. I can't just, be bothered to do this Just like
1: again. when anyone like a friend or a colleague asks you, how are you today? It's like, Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Even though you're not. It's like <laughs> Yeah. 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 Uh, oh to answer your to answer your question, Jake, I think I'm I think I'm the same. I don't think I've got much much shot. I think that yeah, it depends. Um, but I, I think I I kind of prefer the the freemium model or like the the kind of capped features up to a point, and then you 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 know you you can unlock unlock the rest. Because I, I think there is some maybe I lean more towards that. Because I think there is more to unlock from a growth point of view when you've got a free a free version or trial because the volume again to go back to the funnel or to the volume of people coming in it will be much higher at that point than, than the, the ones converting so if you can have a portion that tries your product at a much higher volume you can do a lot more like effective testing at that that stage uh so,
2: yeah. yeah, I agree. I think I was thinking about it earlier this morning, and um, I was like thinking of the apps that I use that regularly use that are that I don't pay for that, are, that have a nice premium model. And Todoist is one that I use like every day for just capturing things. I'm suddenly like, Oh, I need to do that. And I'm usually always work related. Um, and I was thinking, like, if I was paying, even if it was 2 dollars a month for this, and somebody said, to, like a friend asked me the other day, if I use anything like that, I was like, Yeah, Todoist is great. And I was thinking, if I was paying for that and someone asked me to recommend it well i I don't typically like recommending something to a friend that they have to pay for so i feel like it will be interesting study to see does a freemium product have a higher kind of word of mouth referral rate than a a similar product that that you have to pay for just because it seems a bit you know i'd always rather say this is a great product that solves your problem and it's free for you to use rather than here's a great product and you have gotta pay five pound a month for it
1: yeah. Unless you get a referral code and then you can get it. Yeah, free. <laughs> yeah it's
2: true. It's true.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. Always in work mode. Yeah, exactly. This, uh, well, um, this was great. We,
2: we've, we're like an hour intense, so I think we're good. I don't want to end it. If, if, if it's yeah. come to a natural break, then thank can, you for, you know, I know everyone, all of us yeah. got work to do. <laughs> thank you for coming.
1: Amy. Yeah. Was no awesome. problem. Yeah. Well, thank thanks for coming. The thanks first, for having me. first guest of the podcast.
0: You'll so get a prize for
1: being first. <laughs> you'll get as soon as we make some stickers or whatever, you'll, you'll be the first to get Amazing. to get something. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> look, at my, on my computer, I've got like a dollar bill on the back of my computer. You see, like maybe we can make the in growth we trust
2: with like you know we can do like a fake
1: pound note or dollar bill. I don't know,
2: whatever. Yeah, it's not, or maybe like this. I just randomly pulled this out of my cupboard with my coffee, but. Yeah. Wow! You? Oh, you need mug. got the <laughs> yeah. same font. It's like you stole it off of this mug.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be the you'll be the first to get that.
0: I love a mug. Yeah, always need another mug.
1: <laughs> you can't have too many mugs.
2: Um, no, another- you definitely can. And I, I've become way more of a connoisseur in <laughs> the in the last couple of years when I've been at home. it's like even this mug is too thick. It has to be thin now. It <laughs> you know, can only be a thin mug.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Thank you, Amy.
0: Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys.
1: Bye bye. Thanks a lot. Take care. Meet
0: soon. Bye. Cool,
2: man.
1: It was. Uh, it's, in- it's an interesting dance between three people.
2: It is. Yeah. It's. Uh, I'm
1: not. Uh, I. I remember being just two is easy. You just go back and forth. Three. Um. I. am struck. I struggled a bit, like not jumping too much. You know, like into. Someone's answering on, or I was always cautious. Like, and I, and and I messed up once, like, of cutting you wanting to ask something, and and I and I ended up doing it with the two parts question. Okay, no more two parts question, just one. Yeah, part so question.
2: I don't know why I asked that. I got carried away. The question. <laughs>
1: uh, I'm i so I sent you those uh those videos for episode mm-hmm. two, and. I reposted. So I posted one of the videos of you talking yesterday. Again, it got like almost 800 views, which is not, it's, it's not huge, but it's not bad either. It's, good, it's, not, yeah, it's, it's nice. Not, you know, 800, it was like 25, uh, likes or something. And like a few saves, but I wanted to try something. So I deleted it. I was like, that's fine. I'll repost it. I reposted it this morning. Again, it got to 700. Oh, um, that's interesting. And then I posted one of me like back to back, but. I think it's my face. It got a hundred views. <laughs> Shit. Uh, so oh, I'm gonna keep. Funny. No, I think, I think it's, it could be my face, but also it could be what I'm saying. It also could be because I just posted two back to back, like literally next to each other. Like I posted at the same time. I was like, interesting. you should do
2: a test where you just like, we say the same thing, exactly the same thing and see what happened.
1: <laughs> if it's, if it's my face, I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm just going to keep going until it works.